Well, I don't know if you knew this, but in the last century, in, um, a number of feral, what they call feral children, have been found. Uh, th these were children who had been lost or abandoned or orphaned, and they were somehow, they were taken care of by wild animals. Uh, and then when they, these children were found, they had certain problems then reentering human society. Uh, uh, the scientists who work with this call this sometimes the Mowgli syndrome, <laughs> named after the boy in the, in the Jungle Book stories. For example, in 1972, a four-year-old was found in India playing with wolf cubs, and he had calluses on his palms and his elbows and his knees. Uh, he, this this four-year-old boy hunted chickens, and he craved blood. He uh, sometimes ate dirt, and his friends were wolves, dogs, and jackals. He was taken to a village and given the name Shemdeo, and when he was then 10 years old, uh, he was taken to Mother Teresa, where he lived in her home for the, for the destitute and dying, and he lived there another six years until he died at age 16, approximately. Uh, apparently, Shamdeo was, was lost as an infant and adopted by wolves, and even though he lived among humans from age 4 to 16, he never learned to talk. Isn't that amazing? And that's because he heard no human speech during the developmental stages when we learn to imitate sounds and form words and develop the language centers of the brain. Uh, and so instead, he imitated wolves. How did you learn to talk? Well, when you were a baby, did, did a teacher come to you and give you formal lessons in elocution and grammar? No. Your parents got in your face, and with an exaggerated baby talk, they said, ah, uh, kitschy, kitschy, kitschy. <laughs> right? And you watched their mouth move and the sounds they made, and you were wired to imitate it. That's how you learn to talk. We humans are born to imitate. We're wired that way, and that's how we learn best. And when we're born into Jesus' family, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we are wired to imitate Jesus. Now this month, uh, we're, as you see on the screen, we're, we're all about learning to be like Jesus. And of course, we're not going to learn it in a month. It's going to be a lifetime journey. If you missed last uh, Sunday's message, we were in uh, the gospel, Matthew's gospel, and uh, we were seeing how uh, Jesus faced temptation. Uh, if you missed it, you can go to our website and watch it or our Facebook uh, uh, page. Uh, some of you like to listen to podcasts. We've got that. I know I can also tell you, though, that we've been having some problems getting the messages to come through on our app recently, and that's how most people have been watching the messages previously. So hopefully we'll get that fixed really soon. Uh, we're going to take a, a different story of Jesus each week uh, uh, from each one of the Gospels. Last Sunday, Matthew, this week we're in Mark, and uh, we're looking at how Jesus made friends. But first, we're going to look at our theme verse for this month, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, I follow the example of Christ. 
So in this verse, uh, Paul is telling the Corinthian Christians to follow his example as he follows the example of Jesus. So let's say those, that, uh, those words together, shall we? I follow the example of Christ. So that means Jesus is our pattern. He's our hero. He's our model. He's our mentor. The Bible says keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. So we want to learn how he lived, what he did, how he spoke, how he treated people, what was really important to him, what did he value. And so that's why we dig in and we read about him and we talk to him and we listen to him and we, we learn from people who are also following Jesus and how they do it. I, I may have shared with you uh, before about one time a couple years ago, a friend and I uh, went to go get a slice of pizza at Zio's. And when the server brought us our pizza, he asked her, um, he said, we're about to pray for our food. Is there anything we can pray for you about? And um, so they kind of got into a little conversation there, and then, and then he prayed for her. I mean, I thought this was a pretty bold thing to do, right? But I also thought it was very respectful. And, uh, you know, after, after a while, I thought, you know, I could do that. And I've been telling you a few stories about that. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was eating lunch with a friend, and I asked uh, our server if, if uh, I could pray for her. And she said, seriously? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And then she told us how she's trying to decide whether to move to another state. And she's kind of thinks she needs a fresh start, but she's not sure about leaving her family and and all that she's going through. And so we prayed for her about that. Uh, so anyway, that was, I was with another friend that day when, when we, we prayed for her. And then as it happens a couple weeks later, my friend that I had lunch with that day was a patient in the hospital. He was inpatient for, for several days. And, and I, I called him up and I talked to him. He'd already gotten out of the hospital by then. And, and he said that uh, that day that I, let, I let, asked that waitress if, if I could, we could pray for her. He said that really inspired him. So when he was there in the hospital, every time a nurse or one of the aides would come in, he would ask him, is there something I can pray for you about? And almost every time, they had something that they shared with him. And he said he'd pray for him, and he did. You know, when, when people came into Jesus' life, he didn't see them as interruptions or just there to do their business. Uh, he saw them as friends. And that's what we do when we follow the example of Christ. So today, we're going to see how Jesus made friends, and this is one of the most controversial things about Jesus, or his friends. The other was probably how he regarded the Sabbath, but those two were really big things. Please open your Bible, if you would, to Mark chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 14. Uh, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1003. And maybe you're new here today. You're just kind of checking out Faith Westwood. If, if you don't have a Bible that you personally own or one that you feel is readable at home, just take that Pew Bible home. We would love for you to have it. It's yours to keep. You can read at home. You can bring it to church with you if you want, and, but it's yours to have. Um, Right before this passage that we're about to look at again, uh, Jesus has been traveling from village to village throughout Galilee, and he's been speaking in the synagogues. He's been 
uh, healing people and delivering them from evil spirits. And then he comes back to, he comes back home to Capernaum, which is on the northwest uh, corner of the Sea of Galilee. And of course, when, whenever Jesus shows up, he's, he's gotten quite a reputation and people just want to be with him. They want to hear what he's going to say, but they want to see what he's going to do. And one day he goes out by the lake and of course the crowd shows up again and he teaches them. And, and as he walks along, he comes to a tax collecting booth. And I'm sure what everybody is thinking is, oh, I hate paying taxes. Every time I turn around, they want more of my money. Nobody's like that anymore, do are they? Okay. But you know, Jesus didn't see it as a problem. He saw it as an opportunity. He saw someone who could be his friend. And I could imagine everybody lining up there at the tax booth, you know, like they're waiting to go through the TSA at the airport, you know. And, and I don't know what they were taxing that day. Maybe they were taxing everything. I don't know. Uh, it makes me think of that, that Beatles song by George Harrison. You remember that one, Tax Man? If you, drive a car, if, if you drive a car, I'll tax the street. If you try to sit, I'll tax your seat. If you get too cold, I'll tax the heat. If you take a walk, I'll tax your feet. The big problem was that these tax collectors, they loved to gouge people. Remember back when, when gas was nearly, the price of gas was nearly $4 a gallon, how mad everybody got? These oil companies are gouging us. They're ripping us off. And that's kind of what these people were feeling. You know, imagine yourself in line at the tax collecting booth. If you have two coins in your pocket, they're going to take one. If you caught four fish in the lake to go feed your family, they're going to take two. If you bought, just bought some, some cloth to make clothes for your kids, they're going to take half of it. And later, you see that tax collector driving around in a brand new camel. <laughs> Man, why did he get so rich taking what belongs to me? He just makes you want to spit and curse him. And Jesus said to love him. Okay, if you're in Mark 2, verse 14 says this. Follow along. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, there's probably some backstory here. How much did Levi already know about Jesus? We don't know. The writer, Mark, I think just tells us just enough to make the point that you're either going to follow Jesus or you're not. When he calls you, you've got to decide. Which way are you going to go? And in the next chapter, Jesus picks Levi, also known by Matthew, to be in his inner circle, the 12. And so this tax collector becomes one of Jesus' best friends. And here's what I'm getting at. If I'm going to be like Jesus, who I count as a friend will offend some people. What do you think of that? You think that's true? Let's say it together, shall we? If I'm going to be like Jesus... Who I count as a friend will offend some people. Levi was a tax collector. You know, when you take a job like that, it comes at a high price. I'm sure all of his former friends, did, they didn't want anything to do with him. They counted him as dead. He's no longer allowed in the synagogue. He's considered unfit to worship. 
He's an outcast. But here, amazingly, he becomes Jesus' friend. Do you have friends like that? Like Levi? Do I make friends like Jesus did? I just heard this the other day that 55%, most Americans, 55% of Americans approve of the travel ban for persons from those sevenly, seven primarily Muslim countries, while 38% disapprove of the travel ban. Apparently, seven have no opinion. And, and of course, we know we saw that the, that the ban was blocked by the judges and the courts and all that. But you know, it really got me to thinking that none of my current friends were ever refugees. But I could change that. One way that I could make friends like Jesus did is to have at least one friend who came into this country as a refugee. You know, way too many of my friends are English-speaking, white-bred, middle-class Christians. They look and act and sound just like me. Recently, I sent an email to the Islamic Center of Omaha introducing myself and requesting an opportunity to meet the imam. And uh, I, I, I noted in my email that my intent is just to listen and be supportive. And I don't know if I'll get a response or not. I don't know what's going to happen. But let's say that I do get acquainted with the imam and, and I invite him to our church to, to Sunday worship someday. And he shares with me how Muslims in Omaha face threats and discrimination bringing a muslim cleric into a christian worship would offend some people and maybe that's a good thing now today is not today to discuss what the bible says about the morality of same-sex relationships but it is today to talk about who we count as our friends Trisha and I were married a few years ago. Back in, back in 1980. That was a different day, let me tell you. One of our dearest friends was a gay man. He sang a song at our wedding. The prayer of St. Francis Assisi, you know, the one that begins, Lord... Make me an instrument of thy peace. I love that song. He died of AIDS a few years later. I think of him sometimes. and We still miss him. If I'm going to be like Jesus, then who I count as a friend will offend some people. And counting someone as a friend includes Sharing meals with them. That's what Jesus did. Let's look at verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at whose house? Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. You're saying that there were many, a lot of tax collectors and other disreputable sinner types who followed Jesus. And of course, that caused trouble, caused all kind of controversy. Let's go to verse 16. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why 
does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, these teachers were offended. How can Jesus call himself a man of God? He has friends like this. But Jesus doesn't pick his friends according to whether or not they meet a certain standard. He picks them because he wants to be their friend. And because he knows that they need his friendship. And if Jesus is going to fulfill his mission, then in a way he needs their friendship. So I add this. If I'm going to be like Jesus, then being in mission happens through friendships. Happens through friendships. Jesus called his disciples his friends. He didn't call them his customers. They weren't his target audience. He didn't call them the needy or the less fortunate. He called them his friends, his sisters and brothers. You know, when you walk in the, the main entrance here to this building and you see that big banner on the left that has the values, the five values, maybe it's been up for quite a while. We don't even notice it anymore. Um, but as Vicki was saying, the, the values are also on the back of your bulletin. And you'll see that the one at the top is the relational value. Um, that means that regardless of the task, we're all about the relationships because we realize that that's where God does his best work. And also, if you look in the missional, the description of the missional value, it talks about befriending, which kind of ties us back to that relational value. And you know, I think we're, we're seeing that happen with our pantry more and more. Because, yeah, we, we give away, you know, a three-day supply of food to 60 to 80 families every month. That's the task. But more important than the task are the relationships. You see, we're not just about feeding hungry people. We're not just about giving people some groceries when their cupboards are bare. We're about befriending people. And from the beginnings of those relationships, friendships can be formed. Friendships that would extend beyond the church. I, I love the fact that here at Faith Westwood, we have more than 40 people who are engaged in making sleeping mats for the homeless out of plastic grocery bags. That is just the coolest thing. And we still get people contact us from all over the country asking, can we send you some of our plastic bags? And we say, no. <laughs> We've got plenty. But here's a video to teach you how to do it so you can get a group and you can start making it where you are. And I'm looking forward to the day. I don't know, maybe it's already happened and I don't know about it, but I'm looking forward to the day when somebody here in this church is going to have a friend that they've gotten to know who is homeless. And you'll know his name, and you'll listen to his story, and you'll know how hard the winter has been on her. And you'll, you'll pray for him when a storm comes through. I hope he's okay. And you'll, you'll look, try to look for her when you go and volunteer at the shelter. And there'll be a day when you give this person a mat 
face to face. A gift from one friend to another. If I'm going to be like Jesus, then being in mission happens through friendships. And friendship means that we show respect. We don't assume that, well, we are the great providers and you are the poor little lowly chump that we're going to give to today. Friendship has a way of, of bringing some equality to the relationship. You know, that's why we send teams of people. We've been sending teams every year for a few years now to Costa Rica. And it's so much about what we're doing is about building relationships. And that's another reason why we're so careful that when we come back here and we show some pictures in church, we're careful of what pictures we show because we don't want to portray them in a way that would be disrespectful or if, if they happen to be sitting here, it would be embarrassing to them or make them look pitiful. We, we wouldn't want to do that because they are our friends. You know, I would say most of us here, maybe not everyone, but most of us here make a comfortable living. And that's a blessing. And if we're going to be like Jesus, I think maybe it means that we're going to look for an opportunity to, to create a friendship, build a friendship with someone who lives at or below poverty level. And you know, we, we're around people like that all the time. We, they work, many of them work retail and we have contact with them. We rarely get into conversations with them, but we could. A number of them work right here in this building in our Love and Learn Child Development Center. You know, a friendship like that is such a gift. I find that I learn most from friends uh, whose experiences are way different than my own. I learn about challenges that they face that I, I don't face. I, I made sensitive to subtleties of racism that I may never pick up on. I wouldn't even recognize them. With, without my friends whose experience is, is different from mine, then I would just kind of stay in my own little private bubble, happy, thankful for my privilege, oblivious to the pain around me. I, I recently read a book called Friendship at the Margins, uh, written by two authors. Uh, one of them is a, a woman who's a professor at Asbury Seminary where I attended. And the other is a man from Omaha. I go, wow, that's kind of two connections for me. So I, I'm going to see if I can meet this guy. Um, but uh, they say this. I want to give you a quote. Friendships that, that cross the division of class, education, race, gender, ethnicity, age, ability are crucial for reconciliation and for the life of the church. Friendships that cross the divisions of class, education, race, gender, ethnicity, age, and ability are crucial. I want to tell you a story about a woman named Erin. She was seeking the Lord through a period of fasting. And at one time, at one point, she felt the Lord make a, an impression on her, kind of give her a message. 
And the message was this, go and feed the strippers. In the city where Aaron lived, there were 15 strip clubs. Or there are, I guess. And so she looked one of them up and she called and said, can I bring a home-cooked meal to these women? And the manager says, you can come Thursday. We'd love to have you. So twice a month, she brings food and she gets to know them. And she offers personal support. And she befriends them. And, but she does not bring a Bible because she recognizes that that would be too intimidating. It would come off as kind of condemning. So she, she, she kind of leaves that at home for, for now. Uh, Aaron has organized this into a ministry with other women who come and are a part of this with her. Uh, they've joined up with a national association that has more than 100 chapters in America. People doing the same, doing this very th thing. One of the women that Aaron met was a 23-year-old mother of two. And uh, this this this. 23-year-old, you know, after months of receiving all this kindness and friendship from Aaron, she finally just stopped and said, why? Why are you doing this? Why, why do you give so selflessly like this? And she was just she was amazed that Aaron didn't march in trying to, to you know, save her and change her. And, and instead, Aaron just came in just showing that she loved her. Just showing them love. And only then did Aaron feel like she had the opportunity and maybe even the permission to talk about her faith. And it seemed to open a door to invite this woman to her church. And she accepted Aaron's invitation. And, and there at the church, this woman met uh, a, 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 a job recruiter and uh, helped her get a job as a security guard. And now this woman is pursuing a degree in criminology and hopes to become a police officer. It's mission through the power of friendship. God does his best work through friendships. And so today, I want to ask you, are you making friends like Jesus did? Are you making friends like Jesus did? Do you have a, friend, a friendship that would offend some people? When you serve in mission, are you only about the tasks at hand? Or do you see it as an opportunity to make a friend? Let's be like Jesus, okay? Let's be like Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, uh, you know that we sort of get wrapped up in our own little bubble and we don't see past that very well. We tend to focus on people who are most like us. We have a lot in common. It's a real easy friendship to have. And yet, Lord, Jesus, if we're going to be like you, you keep pulling us beyond that. Lord, give us the courage to, to make friends with somebody that 
It would be offensive to, to others, to at least some people. Lord, when we think about being in mission for you, let's not keep us from just kind of focusing on going through the motions and doing the tasks, but to think about the relationships, to see how you might open door, a door to a friendship and just see what you could do with that. Lord, so give us eyes to see what you see. Give us ears to hear what you hear that we can make friends like you do. We pray in your name, amen.